Hey there, I'm Marjorie Stiegler, and you're listening to the Career Prescription Podcast, where we tackle the important things they don't teach you in medical school, like how to treat your career like the business it really is, with strategies to accelerate the kind of success that you want, because you deserve a career you love and a career that loves you back. Are you ready? Let's get into it. Welcome back to an exciting episode of The Career Prescription. This is actually a very different format from my usual. I'm going to be sharing with my entire audience a uh, interview that I did with a physician recruiter for Life Sciences uh, executive search firm to really get the lowdown on how physicians can best work with recruiters, particularly physicians who are interested in uh, transitioning to non-clinical roles uh, in biotech and in pharma. But I think this advice is probably pretty applicable and eye-opening for any physician anywhere who is engaging with recruiters uh, for the purposes of either getting ahead or making some kind of a change. So I'm posting in its entirety the audio from this uh, sort of a Q&A style webinar that I did recently for a women physician and pharma networking group that I run, and I'm putting it here on the podcast for your listening pleasure. It does run almost an hour, uh, so be ready for that, and it's sort of Q&A style, so you'll have to use your imagination, uh, and and then it'll be just like you were right there uh, in the webinar with us. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and so with that, Matt, could I ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Matt Tatelman. You know, I work with Klein Hirsch. Uh, we're an executive search firm that's dedicated to life sciences. A predominant portion of what we do is pharma biotech. We do have healthcare services, uh, contract manufacturing organizations we work with. But um, our entire business excuse me, was established, focused upon establishing relationships with people. Uh, and, and that's really at the core of how we focus our recruitment efforts. I uh, we, we separate ourselves from a functional perspective to really focus on establishing those deep-rooted relationships. And I lead our practice, um, or I, I work in our physician practice in specific therapeutic areas. So um, I thought it would be relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, so I think actually you just said a couple of things that are a good segue into one of the key questions that we get a lot, um, which is maybe pretty basic. Just give us a lay of the land of what are the different kinds of recruiters, you know, for lack of a better word, right? I know we, we're all familiar with HR within our organizations, and we know that there are recruiters who are either paid by our companies in advance, like they've been retained, or they are get paid, you know, if they manage to land somebody, but they don't have an existing relationship with the company, perhaps. And then we've even been approached, of course, by headhunters who want us to pay them to find us jobs. So can you give us a breakdown of what you know? Um, how should we think about different kinds of recruiters? Okay. So I'll put it out there. I have no experience with people that are asking for money from people to find them jobs, right? So like, that's something that's a bit unfamiliar to me. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, I don't have experience working with those folks or within any capacity. I think, you know, within the buckets you kind of hit on initially, there are going to be three people outside of HR internally. As I'm sure you guys know, a lot of contract talent acquisition um, kind of recruiters are brought in. They might be contracted by the company to work for them directly. Um, So that's one kind of grouping of recruiters, I would say, would be going out there and trying to recruit people for specific jobs in the organization that they're acting as a contractor for. Um, I would still consider them more in-house or internal because they're working for one specific company. 
Um, then there is a group of recruiters who operate contingently, which you know they do have an agreement to work and represent certain organizations um, most often. Uh, but in in that circumstance, it's an instance where, as much as they're representing the organization, they're only being compensated in the instance that they're able to find the right person. And, and one of the, the pieces of contingent search is it's often not exclusive, meaning that there could be multiple recruiters that are acting on behalf of one organization. So you might have three people reaching out to you on the same position um, because they're not in line or aligned, should I say. It's more of a race to find the right person. Um, and then there's retained firms, which is how we operate. So we are engaged on behalf of an organization, more in a consultant relationship than let's just go find people. Like our objective is to find someone for the role that we've been retained for. Uh, however, a lot of what we provide in value is market knowledge, insights into individuals, and there's an exclusivity to it. So it's one consistent message and it's one group of people that are really helping to um, you know, really help the organization go through who's out there, who's interested, give feedback from our experiences. And generally within our company, we're pretty informed in the sense that we have such specific marketplaces that we're able to establish strong relationships, not only with the individuals themselves, but people that have recommended them or, or given us additional feedback that helps inform our kind of insight uh, into people. So I Sorry if I was talking for a little No, that's great. I mean, that's a good, so if I can recap, correct me if I'm wrong here. So you've got internal and then you have contractors who are essentially internal, right? That was the first right. part that you mentioned. Then you have contingency-based folks who uh, are not, you know, the, the company has no, necess no necessary relationship with them. They are all equally kind of out trying to get candidates and, and present somebody who will be, you know, selected to the company. But the company is also probably going about their own process to fill that role and right. has no obligation necessarily to consider the roles that that recruiter puts forth or that multiple recruiters put forth. And then retained, as you described with, with your um, model. And in that case, correct me if I'm wrong here, but so because the company has essentially commit, have they committed to accept one of the people that you put forth? So they've like. No, I don't know if I'd necessarily phrase it that way, meaning that it doesn't it doesn't mean they have to accept one of the people we put forth, but it doesn't matter where it comes from. So if it's through us submitting the person or working our network, or if it's someone that ultimately comes through their network, they would be put through the same process of evaluation in aligning that person that comes through their network or our network in the same fashion. So like they're paying us to find someone. It doesn't matter where it comes from ultimately. And that well, makes sense. Yeah, it, well, it does a little bit. I guess it's, it's still a little bit ambiguous to me is then, so are you the gatekeeper or do they, or um, can a person be considered by the hiring manager that doesn't come through um, your company or your review? So they could be considered that doesn't come through me. Ultimately, I would talk to them, not necessarily a gatekeeper fashion, but also just to have my, evaluation my lens as part of the process so they can ultimately get hired and there's no difference to us or to the the our, our partners that are engaging us whether it's someone who comes through us or through their network the objective is to get them the right person 
and they give everyone who wants to take a look at the opportunity, the opportunity to evaluate that as well. That's great. Thank you. And so let me welcome everybody who's watching right now. If So I'm trying to clarify things that I think are on people's minds, but who knows? So send me a, a note um, if you have a question that I haven't addressed um, as we're going through. So that's really helpful, Matt. I think that helps to explain a lot about the different ways in which um, recruiters work. Um, tell us a little bit, if you could, about how can recruiters help candidates? So what are the, what would be really a reason to use a recruiter? So I think there are multiple layers, right? And it depends on the angle through which you're coming. And it sounds like more so through the, the candidate lens, right? So yeah. the, 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 I'll just start with the simple kind of tale to being a routine surgeon, right? So not only are we, you know, acting on behalf of the company, but we get to know the company at an intimate level that most contingent firms aren't privy to. So we get to know the people, we get to understand, you know, what type of culture they're trying to create from a personality perspective. We most likely know the individuals and who and what kind of people they operate best with. And also what are the future plans of the company? What's enticing about the science? And we really dig into all those elements because it's not a race to find someone as it is often with contingent firms. It's, it's really being able to tell the right story in the market, give a good view into the organization and be able to allow candidates to evaluate the organization. So I can really give you a full perspective of what's going on within the company and get intimate as far as the knowledge of people, the dynamics of different um, um, individuals, and also let you know where you stand in the process. Because I'm aware of everybody that's going through and interviewing for this role. I can tell you, listen, there's three other people that they're interviewing. They like you a lot, but they want to continue to talk to these others as well and get them up. So you know where you stand. We're oftentimes... You know, you're just kind of waiting to hear what's the next steps, right? There's no context for anything. So I can give you a lot of context. I can give you background on people. And also, um, you know, I, I've spoken to a couple of people on, on here before. And I, one thing that we can provide is because, and this is unique to my firm, because we're so specific and niche in the areas that we work in, oftentimes I have knowledge about individuals, companies, um, programs that aren't necessarily even the ones I'm working on behalf of. And just because I'm retained on behalf of an organization doesn't mean that I will happily connect with people, candidates to give them insights as to different organizations, things that they should be aware of. And, you know, that's kind of generally. And then as far as like how I can help during the process, I can always make sure you're prepared for interviews. You know, I have a lot of experience with you know, what has resonated with the company, what hasn't resonated with the company before, what personality has resonated just generally. So I can give you that more broad perspective as you're looking at different roles, whether it be specific to this or not. Um, so I can make sure that you're fully prepared, have an understanding of what you're walking into from a you know, uh, you know, interview perspective, but also with regard to the company. And then, you know, Another thing I can do, and I think is, is really valuable, is give you perspective on the market, right? Like what jobs are out there, what the compensation range is for certain people, right? And and uh, and 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 what to expect when you're going into a biotech organization, what the culture is like there versus big pharma. Because we have experiences at both, so I think there's a lot. You know, I could keep talking, but I'll pause for a second as far as just different angles of perspective that we can provide. Uh, and I think the one big thing is that like. If you find a recruiter, like our firm is all about helping people and, and really just establishing relationships. 
Like it's never a, a commitment on your end, right? There's no financial commitment. It's all just a, 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 you know, things come back to people. So I'm happy to always help because you never know what's going to happen down the line. It's a very small. So, yeah. That's great. That's helpful. I mean, you and I talked before this call about how a lot of people have some skepticism about working with recruiters. So it's interesting that you've said, you know, there's no obligation. It doesn't cost you anything, things like that. Because a lot of people actually, they wonder, you know, is there something that that they're just not privy to that's happening in the background that that either is an obligation or somehow limits their opportunities by agreeing to speak with the recruiter or limits their ability to negotiate for themselves uh, or, or anything. So would you be able to speak to that maybe in a little bit more detail? Yeah, for sure. So I, I guess one kind of like disclaimer I want to put out there is like, I can, I can only describe everything for the lens through which we act in, right? There are different companies that I can't speak to exactly how they operate in, in, the, in that piece of it. But I you know this is all hopefully aspirational for the way that we operate, right? So, um, you know, financially, right, there's no commitment. And in, in no way at any point is my representation of anyone as far as like being candidate, inhibiting them as far as being entitled to equitable compensation, you know, as far as, you know, me taking the, the company's interest over theirs when it comes down to that, or, um, or in any way really trying to like, um, use their information in any way that's nefarious, right? I mean, this is all in, 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 in the efforts of allowing companies and people to get to know each other and finding it out. Like I'm not the decision maker. Ultimately I'm recruiting physicians, but I couldn't tell you, you know, who's better at the at devising protocols, who's better at determining different pathways from a regulatory perspective, right? It's about allowing and drawing the connection um, and in no way is, is, is me acting on your behalf going to hurt you in any way from a financial perspective or from like whether the company's willing to consider you or not. That's helpful. That's, that's reassuring. And of course, um, I know you can't speak for all companies and all people, but it's great to not only have your perspective um, in the way you do business, but also what you know of the industry, right? Of, right. of what you know. Um, and, I, and just to hit on that, right, there are firms out there and I'm all too aware of it, right? Where I've heard it, like, you know, one of the big things for me is if I submit someone to a role, it doesn't always work out, right? A lot of times it doesn't, but I always commit to getting the person feedback and keeping them informed in a very like um, expedited way. So, you know, right away, whether you should be looking at this still or you, whether you can move on to the next job to start looking at. Oftentimes, you know, other firms won't, call people back, which I think is terrible. Um, so be wary of that. And the other thing is there are circumstances where recruiters will try and use your information. Um, so they'll recruit you a, a one company and then try and use your information and bait to get other companies engaged with them. Um, so I think you got to be careful as far as vetting who you trust. Um, so tell us, more about that. tell us more about what you mean about use your information to bait the other companies. So, you know, like to put it very simply, right, they'll connect with you about a VP role they may have seen, right? So let's say you're a neuromuscular doctor and they see a VP role or they notice that there's some role posted that's focused in DMD or FSHD, right? And they contact you, tell you about this VP role that, really, that they know will get you excited, knowing that they're not necessarily acting on behalf of the organization. They just want to connect with you to get your information, Right. So they connect with you, get you excited. You send them their CV. 
They never actually submit you. And then what they do is they use your CV to go to another company that is looking for a doctor with neuromuscular experience saying, hey, they don't give your name because then the company could contact you directly. They say, hey, um, you know, I'm working with a physician. She has three years in industry. She's done, you know, development in phase two, three, um, contributed to our FDA filings and, you know, then represent that they're acting on your behalf when in reality, you never gave them permission to contact that company. And what it does, it gives them an in with the organization because they feel you're representing good people, right? So that's one thing you have to be wary of um, with contingent firms particularly, right? Because that's what they're trying to do is give themselves a shot. Yeah, so so I see. So they're, they are trying to use a really exciting role in order to establish a relationship with you as the candidate, but they're not actually going to put you forth for that role, but they are going to put you forth as a candidate to other companies to hopefully get more business right. with other companies. That's right. So how can a person know, I mean, there's sort of two questions that I just wrote down because I don't want to forget them. How can a person know if in fact they've been put forth by the recruiter? And also how, you know, is it, should a person expect to be able to give, um, do you give individual permission to say, yes, please put me forward for that job or no, like I'm not interested in that. Or, you know, it was, I was, you know, curious when you said, you know, you haven't given permission to do that. So tell us how that works. So, I mean, I think the one question you ask, are you, are you retained on this search is big because retained firms like my, we don't have time to, or the desire to do that, right? Like that's just not how we operate. Um, we're acting on behalf of our clients. So if they're retained on, on behalf of that initial search firm, you'll know that you're going to be submitted, right? There's, they're, they're not going to just take your information and not submit you. That's not how it operates. That's one of the big things. What if they, sorry to interrupt you. What if they, so like, what if, like, what if you and I have a conversation after this, right? And I'm really interested in a role, but you sort of think I'm not that strong of a candidate. Are you still going to put me forth because I want to be, or, or is that, are you sort of a check step there where you could say, you know, no, I wouldn't, you would not. No, I wouldn't. If I knew you you hold the keys. Yeah. I mean, like, cause I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'm not the smartest person out there. Right. So I can't always make that determination. So sometimes I'll let you know, like, and like, that's one of the benefits of being with us at a retained firm, should I say, no matter mm-hmm. who it is, is mm-hmm. like, we'll be honest. And I'll tell you, Hey, you know, Marjorie, this is a little bit of a stretch. They might have hesitation about X, Y, and Z in your background and give you the opportunity to walk through that with me. So that when I do connect with them, because I speak to them about the candidates that we're representing, I can give them that background and context from your side. And, you know, if I think it's a waste of time and uh, I'm not just going to like send you in so they can tell me, no, right. That doesn't, that's not a good look for me. That's not a good look for you. Yeah. And it's wasting a lot of time. So I think there are multiple levels for why we wouldn't do that. Um, that's great. And then, outside. and when you say, um, so back to the giving permission bit. So generally speaking, if someone works with a reputable recruiter, a retained uh, organization or recruiter individual, you would expect to, you'd have full transparency about whether you've been put forth and you would, you would not be put forth for, for roles that you were not interested in. Right. That would be like a a fully just like made decision. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't submit anyone like unless they a hundred percent confirm that they're ready to be submitted, you know, you don't. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. Um, all right. So remember, folks, if you have any questions, if I'm not covering what pops into your minds uh, to put put something into the chat. So um, 
I think, you know, there have there were some questions that came in about sort of whether there's a such thing as a predatory recruiter or what are the kind of red flags or dark sides. I think we're covering that as we go. So I'm not going to ask you that separately. Um, but if there's anything that you feel like you want to, you know, if your memory is jogged as we're going through and you want to want to add that in, we're always happy to have it. You know, I think everyone just wants to be well informed. Um, yeah. so here's a question that's very just practical. Um do recruiters have a good sense of what the company needs? I think you've already addressed that, right? But do they go through LinkedIn and look for buzzwords on the LinkedIn profile? Yeah, 100%. I'm sure you guys have been bombarded by LinkedIn messages. That's probably the best resource for people to find new individuals. Um, so yeah, 100% on the buzzwords. Um, you know, it's... You know, I think there's a balance because you probably open yourself up to a bunch of people who are just going to contact you to try and, you know, get you on the hook. And and I think, you know, coming back to that, it depends on the role and like how much you think the person has done their diligence and understanding what value you bring to the table on the surface. So meaning that like I have people that are VPs of clinical development in, you know, bigger organizations telling me they were reached out and let's say they're doing neurology development. I've had them tell me they reached out for senior director roles, focused on oncology. And it's like, what are these people even doing? Right. So I think that like some legitimacy comes in the, the balance of what they're reaching out to you for mm -hmm. um, in understanding in understanding that. So like I would encourage putting LinkedIn information out there because it actually allows you to, to get an understanding of is this person doing their diligence? Does this person seem like they know what they're talking about? Or are they just reaching out based on some buzzwords? Because the counter is that if you don't put yourself out there on LinkedIn, you may not be contacted for a role that would be really great fit for you, yeah. right? And and you could be the gatekeeper on that side when it comes to that. Front. That's so great. It's so simple. It's something that people are always really, especially people new to industry, are always really surprised to find out that, in fact, LinkedIn is, you know, sort of that hub and that recruiters use it and that... Um, that it lands people jobs. Sometimes that's surprising. One uh, question that's maybe a follow on to that is what do you think? I suppose you can only speak for yourself, but if you can speak for, uh, for the industry in general, it would be helpful. What do you think about potential applicants who contact recruiters? Is that taboo? That's the question I've been given. Like, no, not at all. Not one bit. Right. Like if, 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 and again, it's all contingent upon the person having the right attitude and approach. And I think that I guess that's in, the lens of my perspective as well, but like being contacted by a candidate, like I'd be more than happy to talk to them. And like everything for us and for me is all about, again, establishing relationships. So like I've connected with people that I haven't been able to work with them and on anything for six years and then place them. Right. So mm -hmm. it's all about just building trust um, and knowing who you feel confident has an understanding of what would be right for you, right? Who you feel you have the right relationship with. And I saw like a, a, a thing on the chat about like, why am I getting all these texts and burning bridges? I will say that like not responding to them, I shouldn't encourage it because, you know, I'm often someone who's reaching out. Uh, but at the same time, you're not going to burn bridges by not responding. Um, you know, I've reached out to people for years and never got a response and finally have. And I'd, in order to count against them one bit, you know, that's, that's part of our jobs as recruiters is continuing to reach out and trying to establish those relationships. On the flip side, I would encourage you to try and respond to some, just so you can kind of establish that relationship with some people that 
you feel could be a good, you know, ambassador for you and also be a good, you know, source as far as market insight when you're ready to start looking like what roles will be good for me? What should I be looking for? You know? So I think there is a balance to that, but you know, you won't burn bridges by not responding. You'll burn bridges by accepting a role and then bailing on the last second or, you know, signing a job, signing an offer letter and then, you know, taking a counter that might burn bridges, but not responding. You're good. That's great. That's good to know because for the, for the ones that are in public here, I've also gotten an equal number of private, almost with the exact same question, right? Which is, you know, how to handle the large volume of of you know messages that we get sometimes from recruiters and how to know really who to look back. So, if I think about just the way LinkedIn works, tell me, you know, what would be a good approach there? If I'm getting a bunch of sort of you know initial outreach, do I have time to talk about something? And it's quite vague. Like I have a role that I think you'd be perfect for. What could I maybe write back to that recruiter in order to kind of do my own vetting? It's a good question. I mean, so. It's tough. To me, the biggest number one thing is like when I send a note to somebody because I'm retained, I always tell them the name of the company, right? Like there's no benefit to me not telling the person the name of the company um, in the sense that like if you see the company name and you're not interested, then we don't have to talk. It's all good, you know, or if you just want to get to know me, that's fine, but at least you'll know. So, you know, I think a lot of the like I, I have a role I think you'd be perfect for is more that contingent thing where they're trying to loop you in and get you connected versus like, you know, here's a role. This is the company. These are the assets they have. These are the programs are moving forward. Right. It's very straightforward. Um, so I guess if it's a generic one, my question to respond to that would be, can you tell me the name of the company you're working with? Right. So if they tell you the name, probably legitimate. Sometimes, you know, people just are a little bit guarded about giving the name and there's nothing wrong with that. If they give you a song and dance, I'd be a little hesitant. Like, why can't you just tell me the name of the company? There, there might be something um, from an ulterior motive perspective of why you're contacting me. So, like, I would vet it at that level first. Are you telling me the name of the company? Are you being upfront? Because I think trust is a two-way thing, right? So you give them information. You give information. Most often, it's not, you know, it's received well, that's all. And so what about confidentiality? There have been a lot of times when uh, recruiters have told me they want to tell me confidentially about a role. And then they will tell me, and it, it has turned out to be, I think, legitimate opportunities, but it has you know, required me to sign in an NDA. Um, and they haven't told me the name of the company until we've gotten that far. Is that common? It doesn't sound like that's consistent with at least the model that you're using. I've done confidential searches before. Usually they're at the executive level um, and it's because of the company being public and they're trying to not, you know, disclose what's going on behind the scenes at the executive level. As far as like, like things VP and below, I just generally don't see that, right? There's no confidentiality to it in the sense of like you not being able to disclose the name of the company. I will tell you that from a confidentiality perspective, on our side of things, everything's confidential, right? Like no one's going to find out that you're exploring a role through me and we're not going to reach out to anyone at your company, right? No one at the company I'm representing is going to reach out to someone that they know that you may know, right? Everything should be assumed that there's a confidentiality to it from that side. Um, not disclosing well, the name of the company before signing an NDA, that's a little well, that may, that might be a, an outlier, but so that's great to know. Yeah. So if a person is working with a recruiter like you, um, 
it's not going to get back through the small world that we all live in to our current employer and our bosses. I know everyone's, you know, hopefully having open and honest, transparent discussions with their bosses about their career aspirations and eventually what they might want to do. But uh, no one wants to be um, worried that that confidential conversations are going to come back before they've had a chance really to uh, to talk internally about that. So that's great to know. Um, yeah. Are you able to speak a little bit? This I'm just moving down the list of questions from the email um, that I collected. Can you speak a little bit to um, the question about whether or not uh, your compensation, so the recruiter's compensation, impacts the offer, the salary offer that the candidate receives? I've never had that happen before once. So you know the 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 I don't know how it's budgeted internally, but I would think that my fee is budgeted aside from what they're paying for the candidate because of the company, especially in the nature of the market that we're in right now, if the company is not fair and equitable from a market perspective, they're not going to be able to land the right person. So in no way has my fee impacted what a person has been compensated in any circumstance. So that's great because there are, you know, uh, there's a lot of I don't know if rumor is the right word, but the, you know, kind of word on the street is, you know, that the recruiter gets a percentage of your salary or something like that. So I think people make, first of all, I don't know if that's true. So maybe you can comment. And then secondly, I think people make the assumption that that means that that comes from the bucket of money from which your salary was going to come. But I think what I'm hearing you say is, although you don't know internally, it makes sense that they have a recruiting expenses bucket and then they have a here's our money to give our candidate bucket and that those things are not the same is that right that's right i mean that's my assumption right i can't speak because i'm not like again i don't know about the internal budgets um but to answer your question i was going to jump in like it is a percentage like it's definitely a percentage so the flip side of that is my percentage is greater if it's a higher salary versus a lower one Right. So like I always have and then like someone like myself, the interest is if two people want to make something work or should I say if a person wants to join a company and a company wants to join a person or wants to hire a person, should I say, it's about giving the right market context and feedback. This is what we're seeing as far as like this is how much the range is for, for the company. And from a personal perspective, this is what you should be able to expect and be reasonable in working with both to, to, to get them to the place where they want to be because finances are generally second, meaning that like you should want to join a company because of the science, the people you're, you're excited about, you know, going to, 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 to bat with these folks, not because they're offering you an extra $10,000. Right. And I'm, sure. I can't speak to everyone's situation financially, but the, the goal of the way that we operate is to get to the point that both sides want to make it happen before we even get to finances and that both sides are educated as to the other's expectation before it gets to that point. That's, that's really great. That's helpful. And the other question that is maybe a little bit linked to that is because as you and I had talked about before, it doesn't seem like it would make a whole lot of sense uh, for somebody to be placed if they were going to get a sort of below market value offer because they are soon enough going to find that out and then they'll be pretty unhappy about it which would make them, I think, less likely to want to stay. But the company, of course, wants to retain somebody if they think they're valuable and they've bothered to hire them, right? So um, can you help us understand what does a company generally consider to be a successful hire 
one that reflects well on you as a recruiter, right? Where you're like, yeah, I did my job. I got them the right person. It worked out well. Is there a, a sort of magic timeline uh, or, or how does, how do you make that evaluation? I mean, I think that's a really terrific question. Uh, I mean, so I think that there's two buckets for it. Like, was it a successful search, right? Is one question. And that's more from my side. Like it's going to go to timing the variety of candidates. And I don't think that's necessarily important for this, right? Whether it's a successful hire, I don't think it has to go to duration necessarily, right? I don't think it's necessarily a timeline as much as is the person a fit when, you know, I think they're always growing get in, you have to get adjusted to, you know, the new culture, the new people that are there. But I would say three to six months down the line, is this per- person providing the value that you expected from them? Do they fit in well with the rest of the company? Are they helping to empower others to do their job well? And are they helping to advance what we need done from a scientific perspective? And this is a bit specific to me and my practice, but that's the real, Right. Six months down the line, where does that sit? A year down the line. And that's something that you know we're really committed to is following up with people, making sure that both sides are happy. And, and also, if they're not, giving them the opportunity to talk it out and what have you. So, so I think that's, that's a big piece. Of it. But yeah, generally, it's whether the person's adding the value that, that, that's being looked for and they fit in well from a personality perspective. Because we've had circumstances and, you know, it's not great, but it's happened before where someone you know, almost like they do really well in the interview process. And then you, you uncover the veil and three months in, they're like a bull in a china shop, right? And, and that's the important piece you know, that, that, that the company needs to grow. Yeah. This is so interesting what you're saying, because in the beginning of our conversation this, this afternoon, um, when you were talking about, you know, helping the candidate to understand the culture, understand the direction of the company, understand some of those bigger picture things. I couldn't help but in the back of my mind think some people listening today are feeling like, yeah, but that's a, that's skeptical, right? Like, or with, with the, with the degree of skepticism that you might be trying to gloss over some things in the company that are negative and paint a light that is different from what they're really going to get once they accept an offer. Uh, but it sounds like to me, that is also not in your best interest because then that person's not going to work out. Is that fair? It's very fair. And, you know, it's a, a very practical implication is generally, you know, we have a, a, a guarantee period. So if the person leaves quickly, I have to do the search again. Right. Absolutely. So like I'm, I'm back at it and I have to, to do everything all over again. So it's not my interest to get to someone in the seat. It's my interest to get someone that's going to be productive and be in that seat. And also going to the small community piece of this, mm-hmm. if I have the reputation of the recruiter, who's just going to force someone down your throat or, you know, push someone on you, I'm not going to be working for too long, right? Like it's all about finding the right match. And that's the more important piece um, for various reasons. Yeah, it's a match. That's a great question um, and a great answer. So I have, um, I'm going to go through a couple of these other ones as we're moving along. We're having a lightning storm in my neighborhood right now. So I'm just like hoping our tech will live on. Um, Okay. so I'm going to kind of rattle off a handful of these because I think they go together and I think they're pretty factual. So we could just fire, fire away. Um, one question is, how can you tell if a LinkedIn job post is posted by a recruiting firm or by the hiring company? Um, what are some effective ways to connect with company recruiters? How do we find out names and contact information? So I realize that you, I think this person means company like, you know, Eli Lilly, GSK. I, I don't think they mean uh, the the talent search firm. So um, just you correct me if I'm wrong about this. 
if, if you see a job posted on LinkedIn, if the little avatar is the company name, then the company has posted it. If it's anyone else, then it's not. Is that correct? That would be my assumption, right? I think there are obviously ways that people kind of mess with that. Um, I would say just generally, that's the way it is. Like for the searches I do, I don't make posting. You know, so I think that there's a, a, a different element of like, you know, where is this going to get me if I apply to a job on LinkedIn? Or how do I, how should I go about exploring it? Which I think is the, the, the tail end of that, which is often I've had people apply to jobs on LinkedIn and it works out. Often, sometimes I've had people job, apply to jobs on LinkedIn and they never hear anything back. So the, to piggyback into where you were going is like, how do I find the right person to connect with internally to get my information in front of the company? Because like, if I'm not the right fit, that's fine. But at least I know. And I do just submit my CV to the abyss of this LinkedIn posting, right? Mm -hmm. um, so unfortunately, I don't have like a great answer for you as far as like how you connect internally with the HR people at the organization. I would almost suggest going to LinkedIn because it's not as though they're on the company website or what have you. Um, this is another area where I can add value or other recruiters can add value, though, if you establish relationships with them, right? Like if you're applying to a job at Eli Lilly, there's most often a way that I can connect you with someone internally that will see your information, right? Like I will, let's say you're applying within the neurology group. I'll probably know one of the VPs there and be able to help you connect with them, even though I'm not working on a search there. Um, it's all in the best interest of helping people find the match, right? So like, I think there's a lot of different avenues to, to being able to, to find a way in outside of just applying a LinkedIn. And I think that is something that works, but it's oftentimes I've been told that you just kind of get lost in the, the, the shuffle. That's great. That's helpful. Um, I guess since the rest of it is sort of specific to internal talent, I'll, I'll skip the, those questions for you. Um, uh, let's see. This is the repeat of the question. I've heard my commission is going to hurt my offer when negotiating. Is this true? I think you've addressed that. Um, how can you be sure that they represent an actual position and company versus just farming your resume to blast it out? I guess we covered that. It sounds like, is, is that right? You said to ask them if they can say the name of the company, a couple of details about their role to get a sense and to ask them if they're retained. Yeah. Ask them if they're retained and ask who they're working with, right? Because if they tell you who they're working with, you can go look at that person online, right? And they might be able to just farm the name as well, but just more information where you can almost pick up on their communication style versus the substance. Like, do they pause for a second, right? Do, like, and I'm not trying to say, because <laughs> like, I know there's a balance between connecting live, but you want to really try and ask the name of the company. Like if I'm working with a company, there's, I'm not hiding the name. It just does not. So I'm going to take a quick like personal moment for myself to ask a question because this is reminding me now of something that I did wrong, I guess. I got approached, um, you know, some years ago by a recruiter on LinkedIn who had a position they thought would be of interest to me. It seemed like a decent match. We had a phone conversation and I found out through that phone conversation that the hiring manager was a former colleague of mine. So I called her up and I was like, hey, I heard that you're hiring, you know, and it, anyway, I found out later that that was apparently a massive faux pas and that now um, the recruiter was unable to place me, which, I mean, doesn't really matter, I guess, since I knew the hiring manager. But do you know what I mean? From her perspective, I think that was kind of bridge burning because she felt like I had gone around her and, and essentially cut her out so that she had spent this time on the phone with me telling me about 
the role and then just went to the hiring manager myself, which is not really a characterization of, you know, I was just kind of catching up with my old colleague, but t- tell us about that. Are there, are there just sort of etiquette or ways of doing things so that you don't inadvertently um, just mess up the relationship between the candidate, the recruiter and the hiring manager? Or the I think co- there are individual sensitivities, right? Depending on the relationship of, of you with the person as well as the person with the company. So, you know, for myself, again, coming back to the contingent retain thing, because it is a, a huge distinction. If I were to recruit someone and tell them about a position, they know the hiring manager, I'd be happy for them to connect with the hiring manager. Like it would be more, it would be my pleasure for them to connect with the hiring manager, right? It's not in any way going to burn a bridge because again, my goal is to find out, is this a match or not? Not get credit for submitting the person or have me be the person who's the all-star who found her out of nowhere. Found, you know, it, it's all about finding that right match. So if anything, that's great, right? You guys get to draw the rapport and, and, and kind of instantly jump back in the relationship. So uh, I could get that being sensitive with contingent recruiters for sure. Who You know, I got to put this out there. Contingent recruiters can 100% help you get a job too and do it well. Um, and with them, it might be more of a, a bridge burning experience because they might not get the credit in that circumstance, right? Because it, it does matter who's the person who actually sources the candidate. But for someone like myself, I mean, in my eyes, you're still sourced through me, but it doesn't matter, you know? So it, it's all good. That's helpful. That's great. I remember just like being so, oh, cringe. Like, what did I do wrong? You know, nobody wants to do the wrong thing. Because that wasn't your intention, right? Like you just wanted to catch up with your friend and like, why not? Hey, I just heard it. It triggers you to reach out to her. Well, yeah. I mean, I would also, that's why I was so um, uninformed that I told the recruiter like, Hey, and I called her up and (laughs) was not favorable, but you know, I wasn't trying to hide anything either. I just didn't know any better. Um, Okay. Let me see here. Uh, so here is a question about networking with other recruiters. So obviously you work within a company, so you must have your own internal network. But um, what about with other recruiters outside your company? Is there a network there that you would be able to potentially leverage for a candidate that, say, you had a long-term relationship with but not a role for specifically? No. Like, yeah, but no, like we know other recruiters, but again, it's coming back that most of them are representing organizations. So like, there are ways that I could help you more. I'd say I would be a better resource to connect you with people at companies I'm not working with versus other recruiters. That's fair. Is that fair? Like, as far as like, you know, if you were looking at, let's just, I'll just pick a company that I'd never worked in the bars, right? But you were curious if I knew some people there and wanted to know like what recruiter would be best to get in front of an artist. I couldn't tell you, right? But I could definitely tell you who would be hiring right now and what teams might be looking to to expand within you know clinical development. And I could probably connect you with an individual at the artist versus you know versus a recruiter who is versus a retained by exactly. yeah. Okay, that's fair. I think everybody always wants their foot in the actual door anyway. So I think if you can connect somebody with someone at the company um, that at least, I mean, I didn't write this question, but to me, that sounds like very valuable. Um, yeah, regardless. Uh, so here's a question that I don't know. 
maybe it's just an opportunity for us to open the door. I mean, you've been so generous with your time. I know you on Narissa's blog, you've just invited people to contact you. Um, you've told me that, you know, anyone on this call or that I share this with later, they can just be in touch with you. And, and you're very open to just sharing, which is wonderful. Um, looking back at the question that someone had asked about how to connect with recruiters um, and what is, you know, if it's okay to reach out rather than to wait to be reached to, um, and they're asking, what is a good way to do that? Or what are, what is liked about that? Or what are some pet peeves about that? So I don't know if you get a lot of people who approach you, but can you tell us about how you would like uh, that kind of outreach to happen? I mean, I'm very easygoing. So like, you want to text me or call me or send me a LinkedIn or an email? It's all good. Uh, I appreciate it. You know, like I, I'm always open to building my network. I can't imagine that anyone has like a reluctancy to engage from a recruiting perspective because, you know, our job is to establish relationships and you're just making it that much easier by reaching out to us. So like as much as I'm looking for a peeve or something along those lines, it's well, their I'm loss if they don't the, want to connect with I'm going to read the tea leaves. And what I, th- what I think what the genesis of this question was about is that it is, you know, somewhat of a faux pas when you're trying to network to get a new job to just call up people cold and say, hey, I'm trying to break into your industry. Can you help me get a job? Like no one likes that. But so I think they're probably saying, is there an equivalent when they reach out to a recruiter to not be off-putting? But if I'm hearing you correctly, calling you up and saying, hey, I'm a physician and I'm really looking for a job, you know, can you help me? Since your job is to help place jobs, that's good with you, yeah? I think there's that's the distinction, right? Because like if you're calling someone a GSK, I'm looking to break into industry. Their job is to work on the protocols they're working on, or you know, do the safety monitoring for their development program, right? Like it's not to help you. My job is to help people to break into the industry. So I think for my job, recruiters, you know, generally, that's that's what their role is in the process. So I think that it's a different element and different kind of connection. That's great. Thank you for that. I lo- it's so candid. I appreciate it because I, I think that's where this person is coming from. So I'm going to be sure to get that back. Um, here's a question that I have. Now, I have my own thoughts on this, but I'm not the expert here. So you tell me. You already said you definitely use LinkedIn and keywords, right? And and the recruiter software to look for profiles that match what you're looking for. What about the LinkedIn ready to work little circle around your um, picture and, and those um, functionalities that you can turn on and off to say you're is it ready to work or open to work? One of those things. What's your take on that? It's a good thing to have. If you're open to work, you should do it. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, the one thing I will say is you'll probably be bombarded with contacts. And it's just about your own individual level of tolerance. I'm sure that once, and I, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure there are other people out there that are just, you know, they have like almost like a, um, a tickler where if someone's open for networking, it comes up on their LinkedIn and they just send them a message right away, right? So like, you're probably going to be bombarded with contacts, but it is a good way for people to know that you're looking. And there's definitely been instances where like, I wouldn't have thought that someone was looking necessarily, but that cued me to know that they were on the lookout, right? So I think that that is helpful um, in circumstances. That's great. That's really great. So I had certainly heard that, right? That it sort of opens you up to, sounds like you're saying just a large volume, but along with that volume could be contingency and and other sort of unscrupulous type of activities. But what about, um, 
What about the sort of wisdom? If, I don't even, I don't know if I should call it that air quotes of that. If you are looking for a job that you are somehow less desirable as a candidate, right? Like if you are, if you are a strong candidate, wouldn't you already be employed? I think that's the, that's the message that some people have said, right? Is that you should, um, that a candidate is like much more attractive when they're gainfully employed. I don't think that's wrong, right? On its face. However, with the nature of, you know, and, and I guess I'll put this out there. Most of the work that I do is worth smaller biotech, right? So uh, it's more biotech focused than it would be big pharma. And where I'm going with that is within biotech, there are a lot of reasons that people are open to right? It could be that the program you're working on failed and has nothing to do with you, right? And that won't make you any less attractive to a company. Or, you know, you joined to work with a certain CMO and head of R&D and you've been there for two years and those two people left and you can't stand the new CMO. Like, that's a reasonable reason to want to leave, right? So um, I don't think it makes you less attractive. I do think there is something to say about like, if you're doing well at your job, you're probably, you know, a good cat. And I don't want to say probably, but there's a stigma that you're a good candidate because there's a reason that that company wants to keep you around and you're doing your job well. And, you know, it speaks to, you know, your abilities more so than uh, anything else. But I don't think that in any way, if you're open to, to leaving, it makes you a worse candidate, right? It's all about your experiences. And again, working with someone like myself, I'm able to articulate, you know, in a in a routine fashion, not just me, you know, what is about your experience that makes you qualify, why you're leaving right now and why there's like legitimacy behind it and get the company to understand, um, you know, your motivations, what's driving you. And to me, most often, once that conversation is had and there's an engagement with the company, those questions fall by the wayside. And it's about, do we connect? Right. Do you have the right experience? Not those kind of like gatekeeper type of questions. That's great. And just to put some people. So, you know, this entire call are all women physicians who are currently employed in pharma. So just to put our minds at ease, if we don't have open to work on, but you happen to come across our profiles and you think we're amazing candidates, you would still reach out. Right. That's not like a closed door. No. Okay. If it is, tell us. We would want a closed door at all. It would be hard to deter us from reaching out if you were a good candidate. That's our job, right? (laughs) So, yeah. Thank you. Um, So one question that's come in here, I think, um, as because some of us on the call also are are in positions where we are hiring for our teams. Um, If there's a great fit, how long will a company on average wait for a candidate, knowing that internally, you know, it's like two weeks moving, but if you're taking someone from clinical practice, they often have contracts with, you know, two, three, four months uh, notice required. So if someone loves, there's love for the candidate, can you wait, can you wait the 90 days or whatever it is for them to extricate themselves from their their clinical contracts? I I, I would say, you know, there's a it's very hard for me to answer that question because it's going to be, there are going to be a lot of factors about, right? Like how how, I don't want to say desperate, but like how much of a need is there for the person at the company? Like, where are they? Like, if you're looking to file an IND in five months and you need to wait three weeks, probably not. I mean, three months, it's not probably not going to work, right? If that's not the scenario, um, 
then there might be some period. I would say that generally we've seen more flexibility than the two-week period because part and parcel that the market is so tight that if you find the right person, it's better to wait an extra two months than to try and find another person in that two-month period that's probably going to have to have you wait a month anyway, right? So I think there is leverage there. And also what we've seen often, and I can't speak to the you know legal enforceability, is that oftentimes those contracts, you know, you, you said you have to give 90 days. If you tell them you want to work 45 and you try and negotiate a way out in an amicable way and they understand you're going to, you know, yeah. take the next step in your career, they're going to have some flexibility as well. Um, but just an instance, you know, uh, I've placed recently chief medical officers where they had to wait two months, three months to give notice. Um, I've placed senior directors recently where they had to wait four weeks to give notice. And then it's a total of six weeks. Right. So like there's flexibility beyond that two week period for sure, especially in this market. Oh, that's super. Thank you. Um, I'm going to lump two questions uh, sort of together that one that have come through the chat. I mean, one is about, you know, how, how quickly people move around in pharma very often. It's just every couple of years. And I know just last time we were having this chat, we did have some discussion about, you know, if you stay in a job longer than three years, are you like, are you getting old, getting stale? It's time to move on. The flip side of that coin, one question that's come in is, is it is it a faux pas to be replying to recruiters when you are recent, like newly in a role, right? Do you look like, you know, you would jump ship too early or you wouldn't be loyal? Um, and I'm asking you from the perspective of the recruiter. Obviously, our bosses might have different feelings about it, right? But from the recruiter's perspective, is it ever sort of too soon or too late uh, to be looking for something new, and does that does that does that uh, like color your thinking in any way? So I mean, it definitely colors my thinking in the same way that it would for your bosses, right? Because in the same vein, like my goal is again to come back to it is to find someone that's going to be a good fit, not just like take the role, right? That's ultimately going to leave both sides satisfied. And if you're moving jobs year after year. That's a little bit of a, you know, I hate this term, but like a red flag to me. Um, doesn't mean that I'll engage with, that I won't engage because I think the the real crux is like, what are the motivations? Why did you leave? Did you have a family issue where you had to take a little break, right? There are things that make it understandable. Um, it's just a matter of how you articulate that. And also just because you're willing to engage with me doesn't mean that you're looking at a job. You know, again, coming back to it, I've built many relationships where like the first five years are just me and the person talking about, you know, different indications that are compelling, different platforms that they like, experiences they've had in different companies, maybe me using them for a resource, right? And then finally, there's something. So like just engaging in any way doesn't mean anything, like as far as like whether I'll consider you a good cat or not. If I talk to you and it sounds like you're always jumping to find another title or, you know, every drop of a dime or something doesn't go your way, you leave a company. Yeah. That's, that's not going to be good. Um, yeah. That's helpful. And I think the only other thing uh, that is left on our list, which, you know, I'm going to, I'll just go ahead and say it so you can react to it is not a question. It was more of a comment. And I feel like I may as well put it out there. Uh, when I tried to crowdsource these questions, somebody said, never use recruiters. The best jobs don't need them and they aren't going to help you. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> no, I, it's not offensive to me at all, right? I mean, like, I would say, like, 
there are definitely jobs out there where they don't need recruiters. At the same time, I think it comes back to like, you know, we just placed the Axel Hoos is the CEO of his new company, Scorpion, right? They used us to recruit. It's a pretty attractive job. Um, obviously, we landed a pretty high visibility candidate and they needed a recruiter. And part of that's because, you know, everyone on the board, everyone that is part of the decision making, they have other obligations to do. And in order to find the right person, you really have to tell a good story and make sure that there's proactivity in connecting with people. And, you know, in order to do that, most companies need a recruiter. Um, you can have the best job in the world, but if all you do is post it on LinkedIn and the person who's really good for it is just doing their day job, not looking on LinkedIn for a new job, the connection will never be made. So I think that no matter how great of a job it is, if people aren't aware of it and don't understand it, and you know, generally the best candidates aren't just looking out there to what we talked about earlier, there's no proactivity. And that really will hurt companies in their ability to find people. And they've recognized that, which is why Really good companies, really VC firms, really good VC firms all retain us. <laughs> there we go. Well said. So thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate you being willing to come on here today. That concludes the interview, but you'll be happy to know that Matt has graciously uh, agreed that he's, he'll be happy to hear from anybody. I guess that's no surprise after hearing uh, his answers to some of these questions. But on my website, in the show notes, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, I am going to post Matt's contact information so that if you uh, want to talk with him about your own career or just even about some of the topics we talked about today, he said he's always very happy to have those conversations. He's delighted for you to reach out. So I certainly hope you'll take him up on that offer. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Career Prescription. Before you go, please review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Your support makes all the difference, and it truly helps this information reach someone who may really need it. Until next time, thanks for listening.